It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome into the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty coming to you live from the Pensacola Bay Center. And it's a privilege to be coming to you live this afternoon from the Pensacola Bay Center because that's where the Sunbelt Conference is hosting their men and women's basketball championships. And, folks, the South Alabama Jaguars, led by Richie Riley, they came in as the eighth-seeded team in this Sunbelt Conference tournament. And they have won their third game in four days with a huge 75-66 win last night over fourth-seeded James Madison. And South Alabama will now host second-seeded Louisiana for the Sun Belt Conference Championship on ESPN2 at 6 o'clock p.m. And South Alabama is just really on fire in regards to the way that they've been playing basketball down the stretch. And when you start asking your team to play their best basketball in March, that's exactly what the Jaguars have been able to do. South Alabama now 19-15 and 15 overall, and they'll be taking on a Louisiana team that they met just a week and a half ago. And... South Alabama against Louisiana is 0-2 this season, losing 79-76 on January 14th in Mobile, and then lost on ESPN 2, 74-64 a week and a half ago. But South playing for their first Sunbelt Conference Championship since 2009, Michael, and if you're hearing my voice, make sure that you take this one-hour ride over here to the Pensacola Bay Center. The students are on spring break, but Richie Riley really, really reached out to everyone from JAG Nation near and far, urging everyone to come to the Pensacola Bay Center and Here's a little bit of what Richie Riley had to say on yesterday. In a 14-team league that, to me, is the best in the country, bar none, that gets one team to the NCAA tournament. We These guys have taken South Alabama to the 40. They're to the 40. And I don't know if people understand how hard it is to get to the 40, which means you're one win away. That's why I'm telling you, if you're in Mobile or if you're anywhere and you're a Jag fan, get here. Get here. It's hard. This is not something that is easy to do. And these guys have done that for our university. And obviously, I love our university with a passion that 
I can't explain. I do. I love it. I see all our leadership in the back. I said the other day we have incredible leadership. Our place is awesome. But these kids, they love South Alabama. They've only been here for one year, and they both love it. Kevin Samuel, one year he loves it. Greg Parham, two years he loves it, and so on and so forth. They love our university. This is not like a pit stop for them. They're just, you know, playing to play. They're playing for South Alabama. They want to bring a championship to Mobile. They want to – I've talked to them about it a lot. I point out a lot of our fans that have been around way, way before me. And I tell them what it means to them. When Hal passed away, I told them about Hal, who he was. I can't imagine what Hal would be doing right now. I'd give six months' salary to, for Hal to be here with us to experience this. Because he believed in us, man. And there's so many people that have that passion about South Alabama. Come to the game. Bring a friend. Let's, have, let's, let's try to do something special. Let's try to do something that's so hard to attain. But join us. Don't watch it on TV. It's going to be on national TV. It's easy to stay home, not make the hour drive or wherever you're coming from. Get here. Be present. Be as loud as you can be. Because these dudes right here and the other guys in our locker room, they deserve that. So from the bottom of my heart, I'm begging you to show up and be in Pensacola tomorrow. Well, that was head coach Richie Riley urging all South Alabama Jaguars and Jaguar Nation to just come over. It's a one-hour drive. Again, I made the drive this afternoon myself, and I can tell you it's a one-hour drive to the Pensacola Bay Center. And... You can buy your tickets at the ticket box box office if you want to save money and not have to worry about those Ticketmaster prices. It's just worth seeing South Alabama play for a Sun Belt Conference title because five years ago when Richie Ryler took over this job as head coach in South Alabama coming from Nichols State, he said his job in South Alabama was to cut down nets and to win championships. And his mantra has been burn the boats. And, of course, with Pensacola being right here, being called the Pensacola Bay Center, what better place than to burn the boats than in Pensacola and bring back a Sunbelt Conference championship to the South Alabama program to where, if you know my story, I was a ball boy for South Alabama from the time I was seven years old until I was a teenager. And I got to witness Coach Ronnie Arrow win a couple of Sunbelt Conference championships in 89 and 91. And those are so hard to come by. And Coach Arrow came back during his second tenure and was able to at least get back to the big dance. But to have an opportunity to accomplish what the Jaguars have an opportunity to accomplish. And when you start looking at the way that they've played, the way that they've gotten better, and Richie Riley publicly apologizing for his team not living up to the expectations that he had. And it just boils down to South Alabama not being able 
to put the basketball in the hole and not shoot the ball well. I know we talked to Richie Riley last week, and we talked to him going into the Sunbelt Conference tournament. He just said, we haven't shot the ball the way that we're capable of doing. And as I explained to him, I've seen them go in the gym and work countless hours and get up thousands of shots, and now those are starting to fall for the Jaguars. And you couldn't ask for a better atmosphere than South Alabama having an opportunity to cut down the nets the way the James Madison Lady Dukes are doing right here at the Pensacola Bay Center. They just punched their ticket to the big dance, defeating Texas State. But South Alabama, Mike, trying to punch that ticket to the big dance and have that one shiny moment that we had in 1989 to where we defeated the University of Alabama at the Omni in Atlanta. And it's just they have played outstanding basketball here the last couple of days, knocking off number one-seeded Southern Miss and then knocking off fourth-seeded James Madison, Mike. It, it just gives people reason to make that hour drive and to come support South Alabama here in person. Well, we'll call it nine minutes because I was wondering how long it was going to take for you to uh, to bring up 89 against Alabama. But, no, I mean, it, it's it's unbelievable, man. The, they ha haven't made the NCAA tournament since 2008, haven't actually won the Sun Belt tournament since 2006. It's, it's hard to believe that the Sun Belt is a one-bid conference at this point. I'll be, I mean, Richie Riley has been on the record as saying it. He believes this is the best, by far, the best one-bid conference in America, the best conference that only sends one team to the NCAA tournament uh, it, by far. So, you know, the fact that an eight-seed South Alabama, I mean, this conference tournament's been madness. The, the occasions last night even struggled with Texas State. It looked like, I can't remember off the top of my head what seed Texas State was, but they're like, what, the 10th seed in, uh, in, in this tournament, something like that? And, you know, the fact that you get the eight versus the two, South Alabama took out the four, the the, uh, the one seed in Southern Miss. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty special, uh, the fact that they have the chance to win the Sun Belt Tournament for the first time since 2006. And it's hard to beat a team three times in one year. I mean, they've been close. They've been close every time. You lose by 10 at the Cajun Dome a week and a half ago. I, I I like their chances. The way Owen White shooting the ball, the way that I mean, they've just looked like a tough team that that wants to win so badly in this conference tournament. Well, when you start looking at the way Isaiah Moore has played all season long, he's a first team all Sun Belt Conference type of performer, and he had 18 points last night. Owen White is shooting the cover off of the basketball continues to be deadly and hit key three-pointers for South Alabama as he was four out of eight last night and when you're knocking it down with a lot of confidence and you play this many games in this many days in this atmosphere I know that when you start looking at their opponent and Louisiana's head coach and what he had to say about South Alabama in tonight's matchup. Here's what Louisiana's head coach had to say as well. We're on the game. We were there tonight, and all the coaches were there. We'll have a good report uh, when we get back and eat here at the hotel. So looking forward to it, South. We just played them a week ago Friday and uh, in, a, in a really good ball game. And watching their tape, I think they'd won maybe eight of nine coming in, we talked about. And, 
and now they've won a couple more. So, well, they played three. This will be their fourth game, uh, and you know we expect a, a game like tonight. I mean, it's going to be an exciting game, and we're looking forward to the competition. Well, Mike, you said it's hard to beat a team three times, and we hope that the third time is not a charm for the Cajuns of Louisiana, and they will have an outstanding crowd on hand along with Jag Nation, who, again, the students are on spring break, but they want to make that difference and find a way to see the support. We know the Jaguar pep band will be here. The school mascots will be here, and it really makes a difference when you can turn around and you can see a lot of red, white, and blue in the arena as well for the Jaguars. And, again, having an opportunity for Richie Riley to take that next step as the head coach at South Alabama. I know prior to the pandemic with COVID, when it hit, the Jaguars were playing outstanding basketball the same way that they're doing right now, just had the tournament canceled, and it's one of those, well, what if or what could have happened, and it's not a what could have happened situation for South Alabama this evening. It's going to be winner take all because, unfortunately, South Alabama is a one-bid league, and it's very rarely that you see South Alabama have two opportunities to win or two teams in the Sun Belt Conference to punch that ticket. So, it's right here. It's winner take all tonight here at Pensacola Bay Center. And the more red, white, and blue that's in the building, the better. And I know after this break, we'll be coming back, and I'll give you a rundown of what we have today on today's show. We have Tony Sokalis coming up around 3.30 at 4 o'clock. We'll speak with Bobby Parrish, who just recently stepped down as Cottage Hill Christian Academy's head coach we have jt crabtree who just entered the building getting ready for tonight's broadcast and zach blackerby as well joining us at five o'clock so we have a wonderful monday show for you it's a championship edition for the south alabama jaguars and hopefully they'll be able to cut down the nets as we are witnessing james madison the number one seed for the women cut the nets down as they defeated the number two seeded Texas State team 81 to 51 here in the women's championship. The final drive will be right back here on WNSP with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. Hi, this is Cornelius Bennett, three-time All-American College Football Hall of Fame, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Barner. I'm coming to you live here from the Pensacola Bay Center, where at 6 o'clock p.m., we're encouraging all JAG fans to make their way to the Pensacola Bay Center. It's only an hour drive from Mobile, Alabama. And with that being said, 
Coach Richie Riley has really urged everyone to come out if you're able to make it here. I know the, they have a bus coming over from campus for the students who want to come and be a part of it, and that's going to be at 6 o'clock p.m. The number eight seeded South Alabama Jaguars, who have been playing outstanding basketball down the stretch, will be taking on the number two seeded Louisiana Cajuns. Now, we talked about earlier or later last week about the NFL and the comings and the goings. Aaron Rodgers, was he going to stay with the Packers? Was he not going to stay with the Packers when he came out of the darkness? Well, something that came out of the darkness today finally is looks like the New Orleans Saints have found their man in four-time pro bowler Derek Carr getting ready to make some money for the New Orleans Saints. And, Mike, I, I don't know if a lot of the Saints fans are happy about it, but when you start looking at Derek Carr, 24 touchdowns, 14 interceptions last year, and Carr led the Raiders to the franchise's only two playoff appearances in regards to being with Las Vegas, and I, I just I don't know if he is the answer. You had Jameis Winston, who is using up almost eleven and a half million dollars, and that's without him being on the roster toward the cap. So is Derek Carr, even though he's calling the Big Easy home, is he the answer for the New Orleans Saints at quarterback? Well, he's certainly better than anything else in the NFC South uh, at the moment. Uh, it looks like the Buccaneers are going to be going with Kyle Trask, at least unless uh, you know they sign Garoppolo or something like that. Uh, you know the the Panthers have the the mess of Sam Darnold, Matt Corral on their hands, and then the the Falcons are probably going to go with Desmond Ritter. Mariota is not going to be on that team next year, obviously. So, I mean, I I get the the logic in the move. It, it, it makes you it makes you certainly the favorites in the NFC South, but. If you're not the favorites in the NFC South, you're you're a bad football team. So, I I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of money. It was four years, 160 million, 70 million of it guaranteed for a for a cash-strapped Saints team. Now, as we all know, the the salary cap's not real, and you can kind of manipulate it however you want to make it work. And it sounds like that's what the Saints are doing here. Uh, I I guess I mean. It, I'm going to flip-flop back and forth on this one a lot. I, I think it's a good move for the Saints in that it makes them, you have to consider them the favorite to win the NFC South at this point. Again, probably the worst division in football, and you have by far the best quarterback situation in that division, still with a solid defense. Uh, for Derek Carr, it's a good move. Again, puts him in a nice, easy division with uh, a decent cast of characters on offense. Uh, Dennis Allen's the one really with the pressure on him here because if you can't make it work now with Derek Carr, you're you're done. So I don't know. The Saints are are, are have, have kind of been stuck in this in between a rebuild and a retooling for years now, and obviously have not committed to a full rebuild and aren't going to commit. I, I, they never should have signed Jameis Winston. Uh, they they should have they should have just torn it down and, and drafted a new guy. And I think that set them back a couple years and now to the point where. They still have a good roster, but obviously we're a quarterback away. So we'll see if Derek Carr can return to, to previous year's form. Alvin Kamara is having his legal troubles, so I'm not quite sure what the NFL is going to decide to do with him. And, of course, you're not sure about Michael Thomas, and he has not been 100% healthy. So 
You're exactly right. I mean, the Saints really going all in on Derek Carr. And you mentioned about the strength of the vision with Tom Brady deciding to go ahead and retire. You know you definitely have two teams right there that will be adding new quarterbacks to the division. But I really thought that Derek Carr would, would possibly consider going to the Jets. And now with the Jets needing a quarterback, does Aaron Rodgers decide to stay in Green Bay? Does he decide to go ahead and, and go for the bigger and brighter lights of New York and play with the Jets? I, I think that that's going to be something as free agency continues to unfold. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it almost feels like the type of situation with Derek Carr uh, where the Jets were kind of waiting to see on Aaron Rodgers. And, and, and you know, if we don't get Aaron Rodgers, we'll get Derek Carr. And Derek Carr said, mm, I think I'm going to go to a team that's making me their number one priority, which obviously the Saints were doing. So for Derek Carr, I, I, I can totally understand that for his from his perspective. Now, if you're the Jets, you better go get Aaron Rodgers. Otherwise, you're in some trouble. I mean, if not Aaron Rodgers... Then, then who? I mean, I mean, we could we could talk about Lamar Jackson, but ultimately, I think he's still going to be end up in Baltimore, and staying there. But after Aaron Rodgers, if Rodgers either one retires or decides to stay in Green Bay or maybe Las Vegas, now makes a play for Aaron Rodgers. After that, it gets real thin. You're looking at Garoppolo, Mariota, Jacoby Brissett, just not not a huge. I mean, an upgrade from. Zach Wilson and Mike White, pretty much no matter what you do, but nothing, nothing good if if you miss out on Aaron Rodgers if, if you're the Jets. I I think they should have just gone all in on Derek Carr, but you know it's it's a tough situation the Jets have put themselves in now. Well, I, I'm just looking for. I love free agency because it gives sometimes players an opportunity to kind of hold their own leverage, and especially one being a future Hall of Famer and Aaron Rodgers to do whatever he decides to do. He has that capability, and someone who is not a Hall of Famer yet was one Calvin Ridley, and Ridley, again, known for having an opportunity to be accused of placing wagers on the game um, and gambling on NFL games. He is now eligible to participate back with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I know that he's excited for an opportunity to get back into the game, and I know some people question his work ethic and his mental state in the game when he was with the Atlanta Falcons, and possibly could that have been due to his gambling problem. You're just not sure, but being fresh on the football field, I think that a new life for him is going to be good getting back on the field and, and doing something that he loves because he is 28 years old, and I still think that he could be productive for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I mean we can we can save the uh, the morals and ethics on Calvin Ridley gambling debate for for another day. Uh, you know the fact that he was suspended for a year for something that the NFL pushes at nauseum, and you see you know FanDuel and DraftKings advertisements ten times a game is. Uh, is interesting, but you know, again, like I said, we'll we'll, we'll save that. To, I don't think Calvin Ridley has a gambling problem, but again, we'll save that for uh, for another day. 
And from purely a football perspective, I think it's huge for the Jaguars and for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I mean, that, that offense really started to click this year, and they just fr- uh, applied the franchise tag to tight end Evan Engram, uh, who had a huge year for them. So, uh, I, yeah, I think Calvin Ridley is going to come in and be productive for that offense. Like you said, 28 years old, still still uh, he's one of the better, rece- probably top 15-ish receiver in, in the league when on the field and healthy and having a – his head right, so, so we'll we'll see what happens there. But yeah, I, I, Calvin Ridley uh, being reinstated, I would say, is a, a a good thing for the league as a whole. Without question, and I, I don't know. Going back to the New Orleans Saints, we have somebody in the app that that says they don't really hate the car signing. Uh, they're just not really excited about yeah. it. Doesn't really move the needle of this Saints fan, and felt that Sean Payton was a good fit for Derek Carr, but with, you know, Derek Carr now signing with the Saints, we'd love to see what you think with the Saints moving in that direction. Is that a good move for the New Orleans Saints? Does Derek Carr, can he lead them? Is he a better leader than Jameis Winston? That's the question, because what you have on the roster right now, either you're going to keep Jameis Winston or you're not, and can he stay healthy or is he done? You're listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brawny, Tony Sakalis, coming up next here on the final drive. This is Brad Nessler, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive, coming to you live from the Pensacola Bay Center here in Pensacola, Florida, and this is the site of the Sunbelt Conference Men and Women's Basketball Championship, and earlier today, James Madison was able to defeat Texas State 81-51 to in women's championship action, James Madison being the number one seed, and they have cut down both nets on both ends of the floor, and as we're talking there, are restringing new nets for the South Alabama Jaguars, who hopefully will shoot another blistering percent from beyond the arc. They were 8 out of 18 last night, but again, they will play Louisiana tonight for the third time 0-2 so far are the Jaguars. Let's see if the Jaguars can change that and make third time a winning charm for them. And who has a winning charm with everything Alabama is Tony Sakalas. And, Tony, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us on the final drive. Hey, uh, you're coming in a little scratchy, but how's it going? I am too blessed to be stressed and I hope you can hear me okay. And we'll jump right into things that are going on. On the at the capstone in Alabama, you have Brandon Miller, who was just named the SEC Freshman and Player of the Year, and that's the fourth time an Alabama player has won Player of the Year, and the third time that a Freshman of the Year has been awarded. But I didn't know if Brandon Miller was going to be snubbed or not, but that's a great honor for him to receive. Definitely a great honor when you think about, you know, just the, the year he's having and his place in all of them in history. Um, it is kind of good to see him not get snubbed. I, I, I was kind of concerned about that, too. He's definitely the SEC Player of the Year uh, and, and the SEC, you know, Freshman of the Year for what he's done on the court. And I think that these uh, awards are for what you do 
issue on the court, and regardless of whether you feel he should be suspended or not suspended, you know, what he did on the court is deserving of, of that honor, and I'm, you know, kind of glad he got it. Well, also, someone receiving an award was Javon Quinterly, and Quinterly yeah. really playing his best basketball here late down the stretch. He wins the first-ever SEC Six-Man of the Year award. Yeah, he's a guy that's, you know, coming on at the right time. I think, you know, when you look at Alabama, uh, you, you know, they, they need him to step up. Um, he. Mr. March, you know, I think Nate Ford was in the, the March. Thing. He said, now we're getting the, the March JQ, and I, that's right. He's got double digits uh, scoring in every game in March that he's been in at Alabama, except for when he got injured in. Um, so, yeah, he's he, big six man off the bench, and there, there's five teams that would love to have McDonald's All American veteran guard coming off the bench for them. I think that JQ making that decision to come from Villanova really fit fit the system, and he's not the only all-SEC first-team selection. You you start looking at Quinterly and Miller, and then, of course, center Betty Ako, he had first-team defensive honors, and Mark Sears, who's been playing solid all year long, all-SEC second team, and when you also look at the all-SEC freshman team, Jaden Bradley, Noah Clowney definitely belong there as well. But when you start recruiting McDonald's All-Americans and then they, in return, become an all-SEC performer and have the type of record that the Crimson Tide have, it shows that recruiting has not hurt under Nate Oates and Coach Petway and the guys getting it done. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, it just says a lot about the recruiting job Alabama has done. You know, going back to Quinley, it says a lot about his veteran, you know, and his maturity. You know, he's a guy that in a lot of places would start, and I think he's a guy that, you know, probably wants to start, but he's been really supportive of his role, and it's everybody on this Alabama team has been kind of supportive of one another. There hasn't been that, like, competition within the squad in terms of, you know, who's the star and who's not. I mean, obviously, Brandon Miller's the ultimate leader of the pack, but you got guys that can step up when he's not doing well. Like you said, Mark Sears, Noah Clowney, uh, Javon Quinterly, Charles Bediaco on the defensive end. Yeah, so it really is a complete unit. And it, it, it's crazy because, you know, these kind of awards, like you said, weren't the norm for Alabama. And, and now it's kind of almost like, oh, ho-hum. Like it, it, it's expected when you, when you look at this roster. Um, to, to, to have all these, you know, all SEC members. And it, it, it really is kind of uh, a good representation of the new norm at Alabama. Tony, staying on uh, Javon Quinterly, and, and like you said, he'd probably rather not be coming off the bench. Nate Oates has really kept the same starting lineup for really as long as I can remember most of the season. But I mean, Mark Sears has struggled a bit. Jaden Bradley has struggled a bit at times, yet he's kept the same starting lineup even while Javon Quinterly has been coming off the bench and arguably been the best player on the team over the last four games or so. Do you think there's any consideration to changing up that lineup a little bit, or is it kind of just we're going to make changes three minutes into the game anyway? It doesn't really matter who the starting five is. Yeah, I don't think it really matters. I think um, Nate Oates has said plenty of times that it's not his best it's his first five. And, like, a guy like Tom Quinley might play better off. He's had that role several times for Alabama, and he seems to excel in it. So, you know, a veteran guy that can kind of see the game and see how it's going and come in and, and, and adjust his, his play towards that, you know, that, that might be 
that might just be beneficial for Alabama. So, um, and then you've got, you know, I mean, Jaden Bradley's been playing well. He's been up and down, but, you know, he's genuinely played very well this season. Uh, Mark Sears has played really well. So you've got guys that, you know, warranted of that starting spot. And then hitting him with JQ and, uh, you know, even guys like Namari Burnett, off the bench, his name's off the bench with that is almost unfair at times. So um, I think that's just a huge weapon that Alabama has. And that goes back to the, you know, unselfishness of this team. You've got guys that are okay taking those bench roles, knowing that they're going to get minutes, and Alabama is able to spread out those minutes and um, go with your wave on team. We're speaking with Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated, and we were talking moments ago about Brandon Miller being the SEC Freshman and Player of the Year, but no Wooden Award uh, nominee for Brandon Miller, but he is nominated for the Oscar Robinson Trophy, and I think that when you start looking at the qualifications for the Wooden Award. I think that all this chaos that has gone on with this unfortunate murder situation has kind of clouded his ability to have a clean sweep of the awards, but I was happy to see that he was at least nominated for the Oscar Robinson Trophy and maybe the Naismith Player of the Year Award. I know those nominations come out this weekend as well. Yeah, we'll see how he fares with those national awards. I think that it, you know it, it could he could be hurt by the situation, you know, and and I think that might cost him some votes uh, in those national awards. Um, I think that's another reason why it was so big that he was represented by the conference because you know you don't want this kind of season to to go unnoticed in the history book. Um, in the end, you know, I, I asked Nato about that last week, and you know. In the end, if they can't control that, they'll address that with Brandon. I don't think Brandon is, is all that concerned about those awards. I mean, of course he'd want to win them, but I think he knows that if he just puts his head down and, and gets stuff done, uh, he's probably going to be a, a top-five pick, or you know, he has the possibility of being a top-five pick in the NBA draft, and I think that's the ultimate goal for him. So uh, it's just a matter of continuing to, to display the performances that he has been and, you know, I think Alabama as a whole needs to get back to what it's been. Um, that's including Brandon Miller. He's had a, a couple of rough games. Um, if he can get back to that level, I think he's more concerned about that than he is, you know, getting snubbed by a national award. And well, I just have to see what, what what happens with those. But even if he does get snubbed, I don't think it's going to really affect him too much. Tony Sakalis talking everything Alabama and of course March Madness is upon us. Alabama is a number one seed. Of course they do have the double bye and will wind up playing the quarterfinals on Friday, March 10th against the winner of Mississippi State and Florida. Tony, if everybody wants to look about your coverage and learn more about your coverage of the Crimson Tide moving forward as they do prepare for the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament as a possible overall number one seed, how can they follow you? Yeah, the site's TideIllustrated.com. We're part of the Rivals Network. You can follow us at Tide Illustrated on Twitter. Or you can follow me at Tony underscore Ducalis. And my last name is spelled T as in Tom, S as in M-O-U-K-A. A S is in M. 
Tony Sakala is joining us this afternoon on the final drive. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, and we'll talk with you soon. You're listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. You can give Mike a call. We have an open segment. The app is always open for your comments. Earlier in the show, we talked about the South Alabama Jaguars playing at 6 o'clock p.m. here at the Pensacola Bay Center, playing for an opportunity to go dancing. I have my dancing shoes on, and Richie Riley, I know, has his in the bag, and we'll see here. At 6 o'clock tip-off, whether the Jaguars can punch that ticket to the big dance. the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner, taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And, of course, we always love to hear from you in the app. And was it a must-win for the Auburn Tigers and Bruce Pearl this past Saturday versus Tennessee to make the NCAA tournament? Well, in my estimation, yes, it was a must-win, and some of their players talked about it being a must-win and kind of imagining it to a win-or-go-home mentality as Wendell Green Jr. scored 24 points, and the Auburn Tigers had lost eight of its previous 11 games. And that's why this was a must-win, and one of those, again, was that really lackluster performance in the second half that they displayed versus Kentucky and allowing Alabama to come back from 17 down and find a way to win. But Auburn in front of its home crowd at Neville Arena, no place like home for the Auburn Tigers is now they are 20 and 11 overall, 10 and 8 in SEC play and having an opportunity now to try to do some damage in the SEC tournament. And when you look at their first-round matchup on Thursday, I think that it's it's really tough. It's that 7-10 matchup to where Auburn will be playing the Arkansas Razorbacks. And all season long, we've just been unsure in what we're going to get out of the Arkansas Razorbacks. But one thing's for sure, the Auburn Tigers had a much-needed win and now are looking to go into the SEC tournament and try to make some noise. When you look at their bracket, if they're able to defeat Arkansas on Thursday, they will have Texas A&M. And I just think that this Auburn team and the fantastic job that Coach Bruce Pearl can do with mental psyche of his team, I think that – this Auburn Tiger team still has left a lot of ba- great basketball out on the floor, and if they can find a way to finish at the right time, you can see what can happen, Mike. And I, I do believe Auburn can beat Arkansas in that SEC's tournament and then turn around and, and play Texas A&M, being a two-seed who's sitting and waiting for the Auburn Tigers coming off that double bye. Yeah, whether whether it was a must win or not doesn't really matter now, does it? I mean, they won. Uh, but I mean, we, there was a lot of debate amongst 
people as to whether it was a must win or not. And I, I think it was. I think they were right on the bubble. And if you lose that game to Tennessee and, like you said, you know, lose nine of your last 12, go two and nine in quad one games, go 500 in the SEC, I get with really not a very good non conference schedule, that wasn't a tournament team. Uh, maybe talent wise it was, but resume wise it wasn't. Uh, but you do pick up that huge quad one win against Tennessee. Tennessee, by the way. Different team without Zakai Ziegler. It's disappointing. He, he's one of the most electric players in the country, obviously, uh, towards ACL last week or two weeks ago now against Arkansas. So uh, we'll see if, if Tennessee can make any kind of a run. But, yeah, I mean, uh, Auburn picks up a huge quad one win, bolster that resume pretty much. I mean, they're a lock to get into the tournament at this point, 20-11, and 11, went above 500 in the SEC, picked up the, the big – marquee win they needed in the final game of the season against Tennessee. People are saying Arkansas is on the bubble. I, I, I really don't think they are. I, I think Arkansas is going to be in regardless, no matter what happens against Auburn. Uh, but like, yeah, you, I mean, you said it, it. There's been multiple different versions of this Arkansas team, and you never know which one's going to show up. Uh, you know, they're mean defensively, but they can't, they don't shoot the ball at any kind of an elite level, and yeah, it, they, they're beyond beatable. Uh, they got they lost to Kentucky in a game, really, uh, that they needed to win on Saturday as well. So, yeah, all the way, all the way down to the ten seed for Arkansas. And then you said uh, if Auburn's able to pick up, pick up that win, you got Texas A&M waiting for you. A&M, obviously, uh, we haven't talked about this. I mean, obviously, they take down Alabama on Saturday in a game that didn't mean a whole lot for Alabama, other than than pride and kind of just trying to play better than they have been. I, it looked for a little while there like Alabama could get killed, and they kind of got it together and really had a chance to, to win down the stretch. They took a three-point lead with uh, with two minutes to go, and uh, then Brandon Miller fouls that. I think the charge, I don't know if you were watching, but the charge on Brandon Miller, I think that put him up five, and it would have been a would have been a free throw as well. They called it a charge instead, and it was A&M ball. That kind of really changed the game. He ended up fouling out like a minute after that. So he was out of the game for the last two minutes, uh, and A&M's able to, to pull a huge win. And so, but A&M's beatable for the winner of that Arkansas Auburn game, no, no doubt about it. I, I, if I'm making a prediction now, and I guess we'll we'll do formal ones uh, starting tomorrow. But I like Kentucky coming out of that side of the bracket. I, I think they they're playing the best basketball of any team on that side of the bracket, right? Probably they're playing the best basketball of any team in the SEC right now. Uh, so I, I, I do like an Alabama-Kentucky SEC championship matchup. We'll see if that comes to fruition. Well, I know that Kentucky had that setback against Vanderbilt, and that was a huge win for Jerry Stackhouse coming out of that. And I think that Coach Stackhouse, he's trying to, to get the program better. But going back to Auburn and, and their chances there of what they have in front of them. I know it's one game at a time, but you really, when you look at the way the Auburn Tigers have matched up with Arkansas and Texas A&M this year, those are games to where Auburn it was right there in the games and had the opportunity to make difference makers. And when you have point guard Wendell Green Jr. and Janai Broom, both who earned second-team All-SEC honors, you, you know this team 
is is ready to go. And Cardwell, I think that will be the biggest difference for the Auburn Tigers. I know he had that ankle injury against Alabama. Will he be healthy enough to play effectively in the SEC tournament? And that's that's going to be huge for Auburn when you start looking at their opportunity to make a run when they have to play so many games in so many days because four games in four days is what it'll take for Auburn to become SEC champions and you need to be at full strength in order to do that in the SEC tournament. You're listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 and scheduled to join us is Bobby Parrish the legendary coach from Williamson High School along with his most recent stop at Cottage Hill Christian Academy. We'll catch up with Bobby Parrish coming up next here on The Final Drive. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to hour number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. We hope everybody has had a wonderful Monday work week and tonight... South Alabama, the Jaguars, will be playing for Sun Belt Conference Championship against Louisiana here at the Pensacola Bay Center to where this will be the third time South Alabama will be taking on the Cajuns and haven't had a lot of luck early. They lost by 379 to 76 back on January the 14th and lost by 10 a week and a half ago in South Alabama last playing for Sunbelt Conference Championship in 2009. But tonight at 6 o'clock p.m., Richie Riley has urged all the JAG Nation to come out and make this one-hour drive over to the Pensacola Bay Center. He says he wants to see a lot of red, white, and blue, and that includes you too. And we've had a lot of people in the app saying that they feel that the atmosphere that has been here in Pensacola, it, it's there's been a lot more people from out of town than there has been red, white, and blue. And, of course, anytime you have Southern Miss located, of course, in Hattiesburg and becoming one of South Alabama's newest robberies here in the Sun Belt Conference, they traveled very well. Of course, it never hurts to be a number one overall seed, but there was a lot of black and gold here at Pensacola Bay Center when the Jaguars defeated Southern Miss on Saturday. And it's just a night to where if you want to witness South Alabama having an opportunity to make history, make the hour drive over here to the Pensacola Bay Center to see the Jaguars, the eighth-seeded South Alabama Jaguars that are currently 19-15 and 15 
Green try to get to their 20th win of the season and put their dancing shoes on. And someone who always puts their dancing shoes on is Bobby Parrish, and he has been dancing as a head coach for a very long time in the Mobile area. Of course, these past two seasons, he coached Cottage Hill Christian Academy, and this past year had the Warriors at 5-5, five and five, but he started at Williamson High School, and in his first year in 1999 was 10 and 5. His second year in 2000 was 12 and 1, and he had a pretty good gunslinging quarterback there at Williamson High School that he had a chance to coach. And the legendary Bobby Parrish joins us this afternoon on the final drive. Coach, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us on the final drive. Hey, Corey, man, I appreciate you having me on. Good afternoon. Coach, I tell you, it's it's been a pleasure watching you grace the sidelines, whether it's at Lad Peebles Stadium or here recently with Cottage Hill Christian Academy. People don't know this about you as well. When you left Williamson, you also pursued administration and had an opportunity to be an assistant principal in the public school system prior to going back to Cottage Hill Christian Academy and coming out of retirement, so to say. But talk about your time not only as a coach, educator, but then as administrator as well. Oh, man, I tell you, it's been a, a great journey, you know, a long journey, but a great one. You know, I did 15 years uh, as a head coach, uh, 13 at uh, Williamson and two at College Hill as being the head coach. Uh, 37 altogether because I was assistant, uh, you know, at Theodore and uh, places like that. But, uh, man, I'm telling you, it's been a journey and one that, uh, you know, I decided to step down and just officially retire, you know, and just call it a career. And uh, as you said, I went four years at LaFleur as an assistant principal. Now I'm telling you, man, it's just great to be able to educate young men and young women. And uh, I definitely have enjoyed it. Well, Coach, let's go back to your time at Williamson and when you took over for the Williamson Lions and you look at taking over for the Alabama Sports Hall of Famer, the Mobile Sports Hall of Famer, the legendary Curtis Horton, and what that was like for you stepping into his shoes, becoming the head coach at Williamson, and then having the type of success that you had in your first year at 10-5 and and your second year being 12-1. and well, you know, like you said, following uh, Coach Horton, you know, he's done a great job. He did a great job there before I got there. Not only in football, if I'm not mistaken, I think he also won a championship uh, with the girls' basketball. If he didn't win one, I know he probably took him up there. But, you know, it was definitely a journey, you know, to follow his footsteps. Uh, we had a lot of athletes over there, man, and I tell you, but it wasn't just about me. I, I do appreciate everything, but I definitely have some great guys that are around, you know, those assistant coaches, and uh, they did just an outstanding job. And um, I definitely enjoyed my time there at Williamson High School. Coach, let's talk about your situation at Williamson High School to where you coach so many outstanding next-level athletes. But when you look at currently the head coach at Williamson High School being one of your former players and Antonio Coleman, 
What does that mean to you seeing not only Antonio, but so many other of your former players stepping into the role that you once had and now getting the chance to see sometimes the headaches, the trials and tribulations of everything they put you through, having a chance to go through it themselves now as head coaches. Yeah, I talked to Tony uh, several times over the summer, you know, up in Montgomery when he was there. But, you know, not only him, but there's a lot of other guys. I think I coached some guys over at Rain. They are assistant coaches that I had at Theodore. Uh, there were several of them that I coached. But uh, I think they understood now. They didn't understand it then uh, uh, when I was coaching them. But uh, just for them to get that opportunity, just for me being an influence in their life, you know, several of them have called me and told me that, that you know, how – they appreciate the things that I've done for them, but I'm telling you, man, it was a definite collective thing. I appreciate everything that they've done for me as well. And that is, I'm talking about coming to practice every day, working our tails off, you know, Antonio, Marcus Russell, Nick Fairley, and I can just go on and on. Just not, they went to the next level, but there were several that had the opportunities uh, that were great athletes as well. Coach Bobby Parrish joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Coach, you did two years as the head coach at Cottage Hill Christian Academy. You were also the defensive coordinator there for now the headmaster, Chris Brazil. And when you have an opportunity to sit there and really make the transition as a assistant coach to a head coach, how has the game changed since when you first became a head coach at Williamson in 1999? Yeah, you're right. And uh, I did three years as a defensive coordinator when Chris was the head football coach. And then he, you know, he asked me to take over, uh, you know, the last two years. And uh, but I tell you, that's why one reason I, I decided I stepped down, you know, the time and the energy nowadays uh, that you have to put in, you know, it's becoming almost like college now where you are just working four or five days. I'm talking about during the summer month, you know, you're working four days a week and stuff like that. But when I first started back at Theodore, we probably worked out maybe two days a week, two or three days a week, maybe two hours a day or something like that. So the game definitely have changed. And if you don't put in the work, then your your competition or those opposing coaches that are out there working their tails off, got their kids there every day, they're going to be ahead of you. So, uh, you know, for, from that standpoint, you know, things have definitely changed as far as the time and energy that you have to put in to be able to run a successful program. So that's one reason I to say, hey, look, you know, it's time to go home. You know, it's time to say you got to know when to say when. And I think I'm going to enjoy this time, you know, spending with the family. Well, there's nothing wrong with spending time with family. And again, in your first year, having an opportunity to make it all the way to Legion Field in the state championship game. In your all your time coaching, would that be one of your most memorable moments, having an opportunity to coach Jamarcus Russell and watch him as a young fella be able to continue to to play at a while and some guy named, I think, Cadillac Williams is maybe who you guys had an opportunity to face. But is that oh, yeah. no, making it to the No doubt game? about it. You know, uh, can you hear me? Because it seemed like it was breaking up. Go ahead, Coach. Go ahead. 
Okay. Yeah, that was definitely a special time. You know, when any time you get an opportunity to get in there, and Jamarcus started for us as a ninth grader, uh, <clears throat> took us to Birmingham, you know, around with the other guys that he had on the football team. Uh, but it was just a special moment. You know, not a lot of people get an opportunity to uh, – the first year anyway to make it all the way to Birmingham and like you said we got an opportunity to play but then we ended up having to play against Cadillac Williams and I'm telling you that guy's a special guy he didn't just go to Auburn for nothing when I tell you he was special even back then you know so but just to get that opportunity you know to go 10 and 5 and then 12 and 1 the next year something like that I know we was close to being undefeated we may have lost to Benjamin Russell I think in the uh, semifinal but there were several games that we played where I was at Williamson and we went to the semifinal but probably and then him being the number one pick in the NFL draft you know man that was very special well, it's amazing when you start talking about it, Coach. All the talent that comes through the state of Alabama and Bobby Parrish is who we're speaking with here on the final drive as he has stepped down as the head coach at Cottage Hill Christian Academy to spend more time with his family and enjoy his true retirement. But Cadillac Williams versus Jamarcus Russell, two former SEC, all-SEC performers, two top five draft picks in the NFL to see all that type of talent on one field at one time, Coach, it's truly remarkable and just goes to show why the state of Alabama continues to be so rich in its football tradition history. Uh, no doubt about it, and I'm telling you, man, it's going to be some more uh, that's going to have that same opportunity that Jamarcus had, uh, uh, Cadillac have. You know, I Enjoyed the time over at Cottage Hill, you know, coaching those twins, uh, one going to South Alabama, the other one's going to UAB. And the ceiling is high for those guys. Kevon McBride, who's going to North Carolina State, you know, the ceiling is high for those guys. And if they keep putting in the work and putting in the work, and that's what I keep stressing to them, uh, you know, even though it's going to be harder, but if you keep putting in the work, you know, man, you never know what God may have in store for you. No question about it, Coach, and I know God has a great plan in store for you as well and appreciate all your leadership and everything that you've done, giving back not only to Williamson High School, to LaFleur High School, Cottage Hill Christian Academy, but all the men and women's lives you've had an opportunity to make a difference in and all the coworkers that you've had. I know that you're going to miss them tremendously, but congratulations on an outstanding career as a high school football coach, and we wish you the best, Coach. All right, Corey, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate all the coverage and that you guys have given me throughout my career, not only me, but just high school in general in the Mobile area and the surrounding areas. I do appreciate it. It's absolutely a pleasure to do so. Bobby Parrish joining us here on the final drive. And when we come back, we'll dive back in to what we think about South Alabama's chances this evening, as well as a little bit of trouble that John Morant has gotten himself into. And while I'm here at the Pensacola Bay Center in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, there was a Sunbelt Conference referee blunder this weekend in women's action, and it affected Troy Lady Trojans. We'll talk about that all when we come back to the final drive.
Hi, this is Luis Gonzalez, former South Alabama Jaguar and Major League player. You're listening to WNSP Mobile. WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty coming to you live from the Pensacola Bay Center, which is home to the Sunbelt Conference Men and Women's Basketball Championship. And earlier today, James Madison, the Lady Dukes, knocked off Texas State 81 to 51, cut down the nets, and hopefully that's what the South Alabama Jaguars will be doing tonight at 6 o'clock p.m. And I know Richie Riley urged everyone to come on and make that one-hour drive over from Mobile, Alabama, or wherever you're coming from as a South Alabama fan. I know that this Jaguar program would love to see the red, white, and blue be in full effect tonight. And, again, a lot of local support is needed to where we can give the Jaguars truly home court advantage. And this is a neutral floor that they're calling it here at the Pensacola Bay Center. But I will say this, things happen in basketball. And me being a basketball official calling high school basketball, a couple of things should never happen. As an official, you should never put the ball in play with six players on the floor. Mike, you play basketball five on five, and here in the Sun Belt Conference Tournament this weekend, Old Dominion University's women's basketball team was playing Troy, and with seconds remaining and up by one point, Old Dominion had the basketball and was inbounding the basketball in front of their own bench, was up by one point and had six on the floor, and all three officials who make great money missed the call. Old Dominion is able to score a layup to extend their lead to three points. And in basketball, once a basket is scored, you cannot take those points off the board. And Old Dominion's players grab the player who inbounded the basketball off of the floor to where they remaining players, that now they only had five on the floor. I have never seen anything like it with a winner-go-home stake at stake because what wound up happening is now you score the basket and Troy is down by three points with less than two seconds remaining in the game, and they don't have an opportunity. There's no review. You can't take the points off the board. Then officials never even saw it. Yeah, you use the term miss the call. I don't even think that really applies here. I mean, you see missed calls in pretty much every game of basketball. This was uh, this was on another level. I mean, they they – missed a whole extra player they didn't just miss a call uh there there was an entire extra i mean it was old dominions inbounding it and have five people on the court and the inbounder I, the announcer on television even pointed it out it, it, it's one of the more egregious miss misses by by a crew of referees again it's not just one referee misses a crew of referees it's one yeah. of the more egregious things i've ever seen Three officials on the floor, and what happens is the Sun Belt Conference gives an apology to them and 
lets those officials know that they won't be calling any more games here for the remainder of the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. But how does that help Shonda Rigby and her Lady Trojans have an opportunity to continue to advance their season and keep their NCAA hopes alive when the officials miss the, the fact that there are six players on the floor? Now, what happened in my eyesight is that there were five players on the floor. The sixth player was the inbounder, and when just, I guess, I don't know, the three officials, none of them decided to count the inbounder as a player actually on the floor, and because of it, Mike, it wind up costing Troy an opportunity, and what do they get in return? They get a huge... I'm sorry, from the Sun Belt Conference. Which borderline borderline makes it worse. <laughs> I understand, like, if you're the Sun, if you're uh, Keith Gill and the Sun Belt, uh, you have to issue that apology for, for such an egregious ref, ref mistake. But if you're the coach of, uh, of Troy at that point, I, I mean, it's almost like, Thanks, but no, thanks. I, I, the apology makes it worse, in my mind at least. It's like, wow, all right, so you're confirming that we got screwed over. Thanks. Uh, it does. The apology doesn't make it any better for me. Uh, and again, it's not like it's a guarantee that you know Troy would have won. It, they still needed to uh, get a stop. And sure, it could sure. could the ball have been inbounded and Old Dominion makes two free throws and they're in the same spot? Sure. I mean, again, it's not like. Troy was uh, was winning and it, again but it doesn't really matter uh it, for for refs to screw up that egregiously and not and, and not be able to oh it's an unreviewable play like really in in a case where it's that bad and that big of a mess up you can't just kind of go back and and correct things and then on to, to the cherry on top of the whole thing you get a nice apology letter from Keith Gill and and the Sun Belt, and it's almost insulting at that point. It's like I I don't want your apology. I, I know that you definitely have to make sure that those officials don't have any more assignments for the rest of the season, and it's going to be a tremendous learning tool for all officials because again, I I just finished up my 15th year as a high school basketball official and. It's a situation to where I know that as an official, you trust your other partners to take care of you during the game. And there are three officials, and all three officials missed the fact that there were six people on the floor and the fact that the ball not only was inbounded because the result of that is a – technical foul, which if you would have seen that six people were on the floor, the technical foul would have given two shots yeah. and the basketball to Troy. Yeah. No, that's so the ma- kicker. That, no, that, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's an even better point. It's like if, if the correct call was made, Troy probably does win the game. And, uh, and, yeah. and they're, the, they're one of the best free throw shooting teams in the Sunbelt Conference from a women's standpoint. So that's the huge part about it. That, Mike, you could have assessed the technical foul if someone would have caught the six players, Troy would have had an opportunity, even though they were still trailing by one, to not only have two opportunities at the free throw line, not only to tie it, but take the lead and then have possession of the basketball. Instead, it goes from a one-point lead for Old Dominion to a three-point lead, 
And on top of that, you get a big, I'm sorry. Thank you for participating. We'll do better <laughs> next time. If you're the coach of, of uh, Troy at that point, do you want the apology or, or do you like? Yeah, you definitely want the apology. Shonda Rigby, she deserved the apology. And I, I think that does the apology make it even better? No. Do you ever want to see those officials call any more of your games? No, you do not. Because, again, the money that officials get paid at the collegiate level for Division One basketball, it's not pocket change. I can promise you that. It is a nice amount of money to where when you do have three officials, again, you have NBA officials that that's their only job. And some NFL officials, that's their only job. That's what they do for a living. And you still have partners that you have to trust, Michael. And I just hate it for Troy and the Lady Trojans not having an opportunity to advance or not having an opportunity to even assess themselves or give themselves free throws to win that game with it being a one-point game when six players were on the floor, and uh, I mean, you hope at, nothing at like po- that happens tonight. At what point sure? did Troy's coach, like someone just asked in the app, like at what point did Troy's coach notice that? After the fact that, at, well, let's put it like this. After the basket was scored, you could see the video evidence of everyone jumping up and down, knowing that, look, our defense is designed to stop five people, not six. And because <laughs> of it, it again, by rule, once that basket went through, you can't take those points off the board, and it was a non-reviewable situation. And not only that, the officials didn't even notice it until after the game was over, and it was way too late for the Lady Trojans at that point in time. But this is winter go-home time in South Alabama, Hopes they don't have officiating problems tonight when they take the court against Louisiana, who comes in as the number two seed. 6 o'clock p.m. tip-off here at Pensacola Bay Center. If you have an opportunity, it's only 4.30. It's only an hour drive over here to the Pensacola Bay Center. If you're a Jaguar fan, you still have a chance to see South Alabama make history and make it back to the big dance for the first time since 2009. You're listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Joining us next will be the voice of South Alabama, J.T. Crabtree, coming up next on the final drive. Hi, this is Juan Pierre, former South Alabama Jaguar, former MLB player, and you're listening to WNSP. Drive here on WNSP 105.5. The South Alabama Jaguars playing for a Sun Belt Conference championship tonight here at the Pensacola Bay Center. And Richie Riley has urged all of Jag Nation to come out and support the South Alabama Jaguars in red, white, and blue. As again, 
South Alabama 0-2 this season against Louisiana and the Cajuns, and they're trying to make that third time a charm for themselves instead of letting the Cajuns have that clean sweep. And someone who's witnessed all those games and called them for South Alabama is the voice of the South Alabama Jaguars, JT Crabtree, joining us here as we sit on the third level of the Pensacola Bay Center. JT, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us here on the final drive. Yeah, man, thanks for uh, for having me over here, and um, glad I could hop a couple of tables down, hang out with you for a little bit, and, uh, and talk some Jags basketball. How about this little championship Monday? Should be a lot of fun. I am absolutely stoked because I've been in Birmingham, Alabama, having to watch the high school basketball state championships. And on one night, I did see Coach Parker come up as South Alabama does have a state champion from Jacksonville coming down next year to put on the Jaguar uniform in John Broom. And he's an outstanding performer, but I've been able to keep up with South on ESPN Plus and listening to you as well. What a weekend for the Jaguars playing their best basketball here down the stretch. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, you want to be playing every bit of your best basketball here in the month of March. And, you know, Isaiah Moore's been Isaiah Moore that we're used to. Kevin Samuel's doing what he always does. But seeing Owen White take off like he has the last couple of games and Turbo bouncing back the way he did last time out against JMU. And then even before yesterday, back on Saturday, being a, being able to eliminate Southern Miss, who was the one seed, the regular season champs, a regional rival for us, to, to get a chance to go out there and do that with a bunch of their fans here, a bunch of our fans here, man, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And I think that's really kind of been the, the tone, really, for South Alabama here in Pensacola is that, it doesn't matter who's on that other sideline. You know, we've been the, the underdog in just about every game, especially seating-wise. But just uh, doesn't matter who's on that opposite sideline. We're going to go out there and play our best basketball, and we're sure doing it so far here in Pensacola. Well, the thing that amazes me the most is the fact that when you look at the preseason predictions, no one had South Alabama being the eight seed coming into the conference tournament, and Coach Riley has really used the transfer portal to his advantage, and he has so many new faces that have come in, but it matters how you play your best basketball late, and he publicly apologized after the Old Dominion loss, mm -hmm. and he took full responsibility for the way South Alabama was not performing up to their capabilities. You being a part of this program every single day, media getting a chance to see them in practice, they just haven't been able to shoot the ball extremely well. We know they have shooters, but they are starting to fill it up here in the conference tournament. Yeah, and that's people keep asking me when we went on this stretch, even before we got here to Pensacola, I had folks around the league texting me saying, man, what has gotten into you guys? What has changed? And really, it's not like a guy's coming back from injury. It's not like we've changed anything schematically on the offensive side. We're just playing better, and it's finally clicking now. You know, you mentioned there the the shots have been there all season long. They just weren't going in. We had that four-game stretch where we lost four in a row by four points or less, and they just weren't going in. And then now from the, the Arkansas State Road game, I think is really where it started to turn around. don't remember the date, but when we went on the road, we blew out the Red Wolves and offensively was probably one of the more efficient games we've had 
all season long. We poured it on up in Jonesboro. The next trip, the two days later, we went to ULM, handled the business there, and then came back home and continued playing well. I, I really think that was the key stretch for the Jags where it really started to click. You know, the old cliched saying of you just need to see some shots fall they were falling in bunches up in jonesboro for us and i think that is really what's propelled us to where we are now what uh hour and a little less than an hour and a half away from tipping off a sunbelt conference championship i mean you've been there you've been around this program Corey. we're one game away from dancing man this is a lot of fun jt crabtree the voice of the south alabama jaguars joining us here on the final drive as he'll be calling the game tonight and you go back and you look at your excitement and your passion for the university of south alabama not just in basketball you've been able to witness south alabama win a sunbelt conference championship in baseball and you've seen the excitement and all the hard work really pay off and south alabama again is really an underdog coming in with a chip on their shoulders. If they are able to get this win, this will be their 20th win of the season. And no matter what seed they come in, I would care less. I just want to see South Alabama put on those dancing shoes for the first time since 2009. And for Jag Nation to still have an opportunity to take this hour ride over here to Pensacola to show up and show out in red, white, and blue, it means a lot to me personally. Personally, because I've been a part of that NCAA win when South Alabama beats Alabama yep. and know what it feels like to win a Sunbelt Conference championship as a fan to be a part of it and for you to see this entire journey I know that this is the South Alabama team that everybody coming into the season knew we could be yeah 100% we were picked in the top four in the preseason polls and early on it wasn't look like like we were going to get there you know we were what two and seven at one yes. point conference play and it was it was looking abysmal to be honest it was I, I was dreading talking to coach after yeah. games because it was not fun but to see this group of guys all of their hard work pay off and this is a great group this is year five with me working directly with the men's basketball program on the radio side and this is without a doubt my favorite group of guys to be around since richie riley's been here these guys are so much fun to be around they work hard they play well together so well in such a short amount of time and they're great ambassadors for the university as well so really uh, really looking forward to tonight i hope that Jag Nation, uh, with uh, hope Jag Nation is listening to y'all's traffic reports because apparently there's a, a wreck on the Bayway. So uh, leave work now, <laughs> leave work now, and get over here to Pensacola because it should be some fun. Owen White has really been a difference maker here yeah. these last two or three games, shooting the ball extremely well from beyond the arc. And Greg Parham, he yeah. gets injured in warmups. During the first day, it tweaks his knee, but you would see no ill effects of that knee injury as last night he has 16 points off the bench. That's the type of production when you start looking at the box score. Coach goes maybe seven or eight deep, and that's just been because of foul trouble. If we can stay out of foul trouble tonight, I think that that's the biggest difference coming into this game is a week and a half ago we lose to Louisiana, and Coach just flat out said it. We got whooped physically, yep. outperformed, out rebounded out hustled but i bet your bottom dollar that when you start looking at 
NCAA dancing shoes on the line. You're going to spit shine those shoes in your performance in regards to the way you're boxing out, the 50-50 loose balls, just the overall seeing that first basket go through and then everything else is as planned. No, 100%. And I, I really do think that, I mentioned earlier, it doesn't really matter who's on that opposite side. We've played up and we've played to our opponent and we've matched whatever they do well so far every single game here in Pensacola. And I think that's what we're we're going to have to see tonight if we want to defeat the Raging Cajuns where, of course, you got to start with number 21, Jordan Brown, for the Raging Cajuns. He's just a an animal down low. The, what he does as a, as a post player, but his his game extends out from just the post. He, he's got great jumpers. He drives well. He gets to the free throw line a ton. And so, like you were saying, the, the fouls are going to be key. We got into a lot of foul trouble yesterday against James Madison in that first half. Four of the five starters had two before we got to the four, the under four in the first half. And we just, the whole thing we kept saying was we're trying to just survive the last four minutes of the first half. We did. We figured out a way, got to the locker room feeling good, and then we're able to get back out there in the second half, and it was no holds barred. You know, it just went out there. You mentioned uh, Greg Parham had 16 off the bench, had 17 the, the night before against Southern Miss, a day after he was hurt in pregame warm What a What a freak thing, huh? Yeah. What, what happened with AP was, you know, the guys will, their last shot, someone will do a, a big old fancy dunk and everyone gets all hyped up. AP was the guy to do the dunk and he landed awkwardly. So it was literally the last shot before singing the national anthem and starting lineups are announced. But he's healthy and good to go. And we're going to need guys like him, guys like Turbo, Judah Brown. Those guys are going to be key to winning tonight because, of course, we're going to get Isaiah Moore and Kevin Samuel knowing White to do what they do. It's the guys around him that we need. Red, white, and blue is what we want to see here at Pensacola Bay Center. And, again, I know you're excited to be a part of this championship call, yep. your first for men's basketball, hopefully the first of many to come. Richie Riley said when he took over, he took over with visions of winning championships. And the, he said how hard it's been just to get to this point, yep. and especially when you're playing four games in four days. And South Alabama here at 6 o'clock p.m. can listen to your call you can mute the television and listen to that Pro Jag broadcast as JT does an outstanding job with his passion for South Alabama basketball and look forward to listening to your call and afterwards listening to the post-game news conference like you had last night of the Jaguars getting ready to find out who their opponent will be on Selection Sunday. Wouldn't it be great? to see South Alabama's name pop up on that screen Ooh. for the first time since 2009. Got me goose, give, me goose, give me some goosebumps, man. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I'm ready, man. This is my school. I'm a Mobile native. I'm a South grad. These are my guys. This is my team. And I'm, I'm so honored to be on the, the radio call of it these last couple of years and really hoping for some, some more magic tonight. We keep this thing rolling. I'm, I'm having a blast. I don't want it to end. No, it won't end. We'll keep our hopes alive. You've got your dancing shoes on. I've got my dancing shoes on and the coaching staff looks to go ahead and shine theirs up here after we tip off and end the game right around 8 o'clock and want to thank you JT for stopping by before you get on your pregame and you have an outstanding broadcast and a historic one that you'll be able to file away for yourself as well. I appreciate it man. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, 
Been a whole lot of fun. Let's uh, let's go get us a championship, huh? Let's get us one here at the Pensacola Bay Center. The Jaguars take on the Louisiana Cajuns, the Raging Cajuns here at the Pensacola Bay Center for the men's 2023 Sunbelt Conference Championship that will tip off at 6 o'clock p.m. Continue to tune in to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner. This is George Pada, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNFT. Welcome back to the final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. Taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. We're about 66 minutes away here at the Pensacola Bay Center for the 2023 Sunbelt Conference Men's Basketball Championship between the South Alabama Jaguars taking on the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And I want to thank J.T. Crabtree for joining us here courtside as again South Alabama and Louisiana both are on the floor warming up as they know what's at stake is a chance to punch your ticket to the big dance and the big dance means a lot to a lot of programs and Kennesaw State Southeast Missouri State Fairleigh Dickinson Drake and UNC Asheville have already punch their tickets and it's just this time of year to where Kennesaw State a couple of years ago they only won one game and they've had a dramatic turnaround and it's the first time they're having an opportunity to make it to March Madness and Mike when you look at having an opportunity to punch your ticket to what is really more watched than the Super Bowl, more watched than the World Series. March Madness is just that event that gets everyone excited to fill out those brackets. I think that I saw a statistic to where people miss work or call into work or there's the least amount of work done during the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament then all year long combined. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, it, it, it's the best sporting event uh, uh, of the year. Uh, and it, I mean, is anyone going to disagree with me on that? It, it is the best sporting event of the year. Well, I, I tell you that it's definitely one that gets everyone involved because you get a chance to fill out that bracket and your Sharpie gets pulled out to where they used to make it to where you couldn't even make any changes to your bracket and if it gets busted it gets busted but now they've gone back to where if you don't have a good round one you can turn around and have a good round and change your predictions for round two i like the old school way to where is if i pick a team i'm going to stick with the team throughout the entire ncaa tournament and i know that wnsp we have a lot of opportunities for people to come by Moe's and pick a winner. 
and continue to be qualified for our March Madness special here on WNSP. Yeah, stay tuned for the exact uh, details on qualifying. We'll, uh, I'm sure Mark and Lee will go over that in the morning tomorrow, but we do know that our event, our annual event at Moe's Barbecue downtown is going to be Wednesday, March 15th, so be sure to come out for that. Be sure to stay tuned for details on how you can get qualified, and uh, you know, you'll know you be assigned a team. We're going to be qualifying like 50 some pe- people over the next week and a half leading up to that event, so be sure to stay tuned for the rules on that over the next couple of days here, but yeah, I mean, either or, even if, whether you get qualified or not, uh, come out to Moe's Barbecue. Corey and I will be doing our show live from there, and then we'll be doing the drawing right after. It's going to be a great time regardless. Well, when you start looking at qualifying teams, the SEC and Nick Saban have qualifying teams. When the conference decides whether to go with a nine-game format or an eight-game format, if they go with a nine-game format, the teams would have three permanent teams that they would play and six rotating. If they go with the eight-game schedule, they'll have one fixed opponent. And Coach Nick Saban, he had a, a little bit to say about this type of tournament format or, or conference format that, that is being proposed. And I know we'll be able to talk a lot more about Nick Saban and his thoughts and Brian Kelly had comments today as well about who he wanted a piece of as LSU's head coach, and we'll talk a lot more about that in the last hour upcoming of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 as we are coming to you live from the Pensacola Bay Center. And this is the site of the 2023 Sun Belt Conference Men and Women's Basketball Championships. The women have already cut down the net. James Madison will be going to the big dance in South Alabama trying to get ready to cut down some nets. And Richie Riley trying to make history here for himself in his fifth year as head coach in South Alabama. When we... It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brunner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Coming to you live from the Pensacola Bay Center. Home of the 2023 Sunbelt Conference Men and Women's Basketball Championship and already the James Madison women's basketball team, who was the number one seeded team coming in. They cut the nets down, but there are two fresh sets of nets that are ready to be encased in South Alabama's trophy case at the Mitchell Center in the basketball office as the Jaguars will be taking on Louisiana 
here at 6 o'clock p.m. You still have time to make it over here to the Pensacola Bay Center. We know that there has been slow traffic on I-10, but it's worth the wait, folks, to see the red, white, and blue of South Alabama come away with the men's basketball championship. And someone else who's a champion with us here is Zach Blackerby joining us here on the final drive. Zach, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. Thank you. I don't know if I've ever been called a champion before, so uh, I, I appreciate that intro. It's my pleasure, my brother. Uh, how's everything going with you and everything that you have going on with your coverage of the Auburn Tigers? I think it's good. I think it's good. You know, this is one of uh, these next two weeks are like the two best weeks ever if you like college basketball. So uh, just kind of gearing up and uh, getting ready for all the craziness that's going to happen. Well, the craziness that happened was Auburn – was able to go ahead and defeat Tennessee and what they knew in Neville Arena, they were going to have home court advantage. Bruce Pearl was really trying to find a way for the Auburn Tigers to find a way to close games, essentially, as they have come up short in closing games and really have kind of floundered out of their last 11 games, losing eight of those prior to coming into that Tennessee game. But what a big-time win against the Tennessee Volunteers to get their 20th win of the year. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's kind of amazing. You know, so many Auburn basketball fans kind of labeling this season as a bad season. But, you know, the fact that, <laughs> the fact that a, an Auburn basketball person may be labeling this season as bad with a 20-win season, Auburn doesn't have a whole lot of those in their history. And so I think that just kind of shows what, um, where the program has been elevated to, which I think is pretty cool and probably a different conversation in and of itself. But obviously, like, like you said, Neville arena was, uh, was electric. It was senior day and this Auburn family. I mean, the, the fan base really got behind a lot of these seniors. They kind of were a big part of helping raise that bar. That's been Auburn basketball over the last few years, which, you know, most of these guys, um, we're on the roster last year when Auburn won the SEC. And uh, guys like Zepp Jasper and Alan Flanagan, Leor Berman, those guys being honored before the game, I thought was pretty cool and it meant a lot. And all of those guys kind of had different moments throughout the game, which was kind of symbolic for it being, you know, senior day. And, um, you know, it felt good. It felt good you know, to see those kids that have been working their tail off and really kind of had several, several winnable games slip away from their grasp in the closing minutes. And Tennessee, it, it was the opposite. I think you look at Tennessee's stat line over the last six minutes or so of the game, um, that's kind of the stat line that Auburn has been used to seeing with, you know, just scoring output, just plummeting in the final few minutes of the game. And, and, and Auburn kind of reversed that in the finale to, to, to put themselves in the tournament. So, yeah, Saturday's a big day for Auburn. Well, also, along with great Auburn basketball and March Madness getting ready for the SEC tournament, of course, Auburn does open up with Arkansas. You're looking at an outstanding baseball program that has started off 9-1-1, and and you look at them being able to go ahead and sweep Lipscomb and 
tomorrow will be taking on UAB at Plainsman Park. That would be a good game for the Auburn Tigers to get ready to warm up for the next day to take on Jacksonville State before taking on this weekend Southeastern Louisiana in a three-game set. Yeah, yeah. I think when Auburn baseball kind of cranked out their their non-conference schedule, uh, I think if you know you're somebody who doesn't really follow college baseball, it may not look like a super super tough test. But Lipscomb's a good baseball team, and they're a good baseball program. They uh, they defeated Notre Dame, won a series two to one over them earlier in the year. I believe that was their first opening series of the season. But they were just outside the top 50 in RPI um, going into this past weekend, which puts them, you know, the postseason team currently. And Auburn, um, Auburn jumped like 20 spots in RPI after sweeping them. And so, you know, Auburn's the top 25 team in, in the poll that matters, RPI. So that's, um, that's a similar story. That's why Auburn got the host last year, despite um, a lot of rankings having them lower. That's why they got the host, because they were so good at RPI. They were a top 10 team. And that's going to be the case this time too. And then you know you look at um, you know you, you look at Southeast Louisiana coming in like that was a that was a postseason team from a year ago. In fact, Auburn hosted them in that regional. So you know not a whole lot of big names, even though you know you played Indiana and USC. But ironically, I think Lipscomb and Southeast Louisiana are better. So um, no doubt about it. Auburn still this program's got a lot of issues they've got to figure out. Um, they've got to figure out their pitching situation. And, you know, we're all just kind of assuming Joseph Gonzalez is going to come back, Auburn's ace. But um, I think they're being really careful with that shoulder. So we'll see what happens with that. But they need two or three more guys to really step up, and that hasn't happened yet. So they've got a few more weeks till conference play ramps up, and uh, we get to kind of figure out what this team really is. Talking to Zach Blackerby, locked on Auburn. Zach, uh, back to Bruce Pearl a little bit. I mean, yeah. I, I think so. you'd probably agree Saturday against Tennessee was, was a must-win game in terms of getting into the tournament. I mean, we talked about it last week and the week before, and really every week, uh, you know, how they've been struggling a little bit down the stretch. And that, How does Coach Pearl get them ready to go after after what happened in, in Tuscaloosa on, on Wednesday night? You know, his guys getting smashed down there. Right, yeah, I think... I think this team's actually done a pretty good job of responding when their backs were against the wall, right? I mean, we saw that earlier this year when Missouri came to Neville Arena, and that was kind of labeled as a must-win, and we talked about it on this show, right? Because Bruce Pearl said it was the biggest game of the year, and we kind of talked about, like, is that true? And they responded as if it was. They blew them out of the gym. And then I think you kind of had the same feeling against Alabama. I mean, Alabama, especially in Tuscaloosa, they're just way better than you. And so... I think the way that the, the Tigers played for you know, the first 80% of that game um, was, was similar, right, Bronner? I mean, yeah. it's just, just, I think over the course of 40 minutes, and then it was more than 40 minutes because of overtime, I think it was just too much. And then, you know, foul situation, and, you know, Pearl ran out of players in overtime. So um, I don't think what happened in Tuscaloosa was actually that much different than what happened against Tennessee on Saturday. I think Auburn played two of its best games of the season in the last week of the season. Just one of them was a loss. But if you play like you did in Tuscaloosa against almost any other team in college basketball, you're going to win, right? I mean, you would yeah. take that performance. That probably gets you to the Sweet 16 if you play like that. Yeah. So, um, so 
so I, I, I know it's a little weird to say that because of the loss, but I think just because of who it was against and where it was, it kind of I think it kind of is justified to some extent. But there's no question that this past uh, Saturday's game was a must win. A lot of a, a lot of the bracketologists and analytical folks say that Auburn was in regardless. It certainly didn't feel like they deserved to be in. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like they needed one more to get to that 20 win mark, and maybe they could have done something this weekend the SEC tournament to, to stamp their way there. But, you know, I, I think it kind of ruins all doubt now, especially with that Arkansas. I, th- I think I think Arkansas is a really bad matchup for Auburn. In fact, I'm probably picking Arkansas to win that game. Um, but, yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. As far as how they get them, get them up for these types of situations, I mean, I think this has been Bruce Pearl's best coaching job season long. I mean, it, it hasn't been his best year, but I think as far as talent and he was expecting some impact from some of these highly touted freshmen that just haven't really been able to turn the corner, I think you can certainly make the argument this has been Bruce Pearl's best coaching job since he's been at Auburn. I mean, that was the weird thing, too, with, with uh, you, you said the bracketologist kind of had Auburn in regardless, and yeah. I, I didn't really right. understand why. I mean, they were 19-11 and 11 and 9-8 and eight in the mm. SEC going into Saturday. It would have been 500 in the SEC. would have dropped to 2-9 and nine against quad one teams. It's just like – and it's not like their non-conference schedule was – it was all that difficult at all. I, I just didn't understand why. I, and again, it's not a talent issue because we've seen how they've performed in for a lot of minutes against right. quad one teams. You saw it twice against Alabama. They probably should have beaten Alabama both times. But I mean, that being said, I, I, I mean, were you, I mean, were you nervous down the stretch against Tennessee? Like here, here we go again, a game we should win against a quad one team. We're going to blow it again. Yeah, I said it all year. If it's close with four minutes left to go in the game, count on Auburn to lose because almost every time that's been the case, except for this past Saturday, and then they closed out against Florida before they had to survive that one. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think every Auburn person was just because that's how it's gone all season. Um, and as far as Auburn being in, you know, it's a little different than it used to be. This committee now values so much about net and RPI, and Ken Palm, and the computers like Auburn, which is a little ironic because last year was the better team, and the computers kind of worked against Auburn. Um, a lot of that has to do with margin of victory. When Auburn has lost, it's been very little, most cases. They've been blown, like the Kentucky loss was bad, and then the Georgia loss was not near as bad as Kentucky, but like it, it definitely didn't help you. But the vast majority of these losses have been close, right? And so that, those losses don't hurt you as much, but that's just my general understanding of kind of how these rankings work when you look at Ken Palm and Net. But I'm with you. I'm with you. But just from a feelings point of view, um, it really seemed like Auburn needed this this one on Saturday, and they got it. They got it in dramatic fashion. It's uh, good for the Tigers, good for these seniors to go out on that note, and uh, we'll see if they can do it in Nashville. Zach Blackerby joining us here on the final drive, and he is the host of Locked on Auburn. And, Zach, you mentioned that this is our most favorite time of the year in regards to whether Auburn makes the tournament or not, just March Madness in general. And with the win over Tennessee and opening up with Arkansas in the SEC tournament, I think that Auburn has played their way in. But March Madness, do you have your Sharpie ready to go or a big-time eraser because they call it March Madness for a reason, as we've already seen five teams punch their ticket. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, I think if you're filling out a bracket, it's got to be with Sharpie. You know, you can't change it once you fill it out. I'm a firm believer of that. But good man. Um, yeah, I'm. Um, I uh, I don't know. I, I don't pick a whole lot of upsets because you know a lot of the time it's weighted. You know how many Elite Eight games you get right, and so um, you don't really see a lot of those you know, double-digit seeds in the Elite Eight. So uh, I don't pick a whole lot of upsets. The upsets are fun, and it's always fun when you nail one, but um, they, they usually don't happen after the first weekend. So that's that's my bracket uh, tip for the day. <laughs> well, I'm going to take that under advisement when filling out mine. So Zach Blackerby says Alabama to the Final Four, confirm. Uh, I don't know who's going to beat them. They're a really good team. I know that. I know they they slipped this past weekend, but I'll tell you what, Zach. Uh, if I, Alabama plays I've the way they played year, over Bronner. the, I've said it all year. I know Alabama's you have. the best team in college basketball. This past weekend does not change my mind. I think if Alabama plays the way they've played over the last four games, Alabama will be beaten in like the Sweet 16. But uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, it, it's just it's the most difficult thing to predict uh, it, of the of the sporting year. No, no one knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. If someone tells the you they know what's right. going to happen, they're lying. So, you know, what's the point? We'll keep talking about it, but no one knows what's going to happen. No, you're right. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. And a lot of times we'll look at how teams finish and say, oh, well, this team's trending up. They're getting hot at the right time. And everybody picks them to be, you know, the the team that gets to the Sweet 16 when they shouldn't, and then they get bounced. Or vice versa, similar, you talk about Alabama, like, all right, they haven't played their best ball. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you here live from the Pensacola Bay Center where the South Alabama Jaguars, the number eight seeded team coming into the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, has won their third game in four days, trying to make it four out of four in regards to surviving and advancing. They're going to take on Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, here as we start the championship edition of the 2023 Sunbelt Conference Men's Championship from Pensacola, Florida. And as the fans are beginning to enter the arena, there's a great contingency here so far of South Alabama Jaguar fans who are right behind South Alabama's bench. And it's going to take a lot of red, white, and blue to push this team to victory tonight, Michael. And I know that we also not only covering South Alabama today, we've been looking at what Brian Kelly had to say in regards to who he wants to see on his SEC schedule every single season. And that's going to be the Alabama Crimson Tide, as it looks like. It hasn't officially been voted on, but Alabama may see Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU on the rotation of the schedule if they go with a permanent nine-game schedule. And I don't know how many Alabama fans would be happy not to see Mississippi State. Would you rather see Mississippi State on Alabama's schedule, or would you rather see LSU? Well, Brian Kelly says he wants LSU to see Alabama every year. Yeah, I mean, from an LSU perspective, that makes sense. Uh, it gives you a chance at Alabama every season. Uh, if from an Alabama perspective, if you're uh, playing Tennessee already and and uh, and Auburn, I mean, I I would rather see LSU. It's, the old school Alabama fans probably don't consider LSU this 
this marquee rivalry, but I, I mean, I, I consider LSU a pretty big rival of Alabama, but definitely more so than Mississippi State. I mean, I understand Mississippi State's about, you know, Starkville's about an hour from Tuscaloosa. I think they're the two schools located closest together in the entire SEC. So I understand the desire to want them to play every year. But if you look at the history of the quote-unquote rivalry, it's not a rivalry. Uh, it's incredibly lopsided. So I I understand Nick Saban wanting to keep Mississippi State on the schedule, but I I, I wasn't a big fan of uh, of Coach publicly complaining about it. I mean, you don't you didn't see Hugh Freeze complaining about playing Auburn and uh, or Hugh Freeze playing complaining about playing Alabama and Georgia. I know their third team is going to be Vanderbilt, but they still have to play Alabama and Georgia every year. So I mean, ten, you got to play Tennessee every year. You got to play Auburn every year, and then the third is either LSU or Mississippi State. So I I mean, the rivalry with LSU is a thing. Uh, and way more so than it is with Mississippi State. So you keep those marquee matchups together. You keep the classic rivalry with Tennessee. And, of course, you, there was never going to be any uh, disbanding of the Iron Bowl. So I I, I think Coach uh, – I, I was disappointed to see that from Coach. I, I think he's I, – I don't know. I didn't know what to make of that. Kind of complaining over sour grapes a little bit. Well, the third Saturday in October is something that I know from a tradition standpoint, a lot of people don't want to miss. And I know the Alabama-LSU rivalry has become a little bit better here within the last decade or so, really within the last 15 years, especially after Nick Saban leaves LSU to take the head coaching position at Alabama. So that rivalry gained a little bit more interest there. But... We'll continue to talk about who you would like to see on the permanent schedule for Alabama. If you had to have three permanent on this nine-game rotating schedule or just on the eight-game schedule to where there's one fixed opponent, do you want it to be the Auburn Tigers? Does it have to be the Auburn Tigers for Alabama? I think without question it does, but we'll talk about that and more on the other side of this break here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Jimmy Ripple from Gator Boys, and you're listening to WNSP on 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And immediately following the final drive here is John Rachetti. And Rachetti does a great job of covering all things golf. And the Miller Lite John Rachetti Golf Show brought to you by Dan Hart, LLC, Engineer Products and Services. Rachetti, what's going on in the golf world, my friend? Well, Corey, and uh, I tell you, it's uh, it's a big week in the world of golf this week. It's the Players' Championship. But uh, uh, before we get to talking about this week's Players' Championship, we the PGA Tour was in Orlando, the Arnold Palmer Invitational this past weekend. A first-time winner, uh, Kurt Katayama, uh, this guy plays collegiate golf at UNLV, a journeyman in the world of golf, has played on all kinds of tours uh, in the last five or six years and finally got a shot and ended up, you know, winning this weekend, even though he made a triple bogey on the ninth hole in the final round yesterday and had the likes of Rory McIlroy, 
Jordan Spieth, Scotty Scheffler chasing him down, but he hung on for a one-shot victory over McElroy in Harris English, and McElroy had a chance on the 18th, 72nd hole yesterday, couldn't get the putt to go, but uh, at the end of the day, we got another first-time winner on the PGA Tour in the name of Kurt Katayama. So that being said, he punches a ticket to the Players' Championship this week, and they'll be going off this weekend at at TPC Sawgrass, and um, they say it's the, this tournament is like the fifth major in the world of golf, but we are missing uh, a major champion and a defending champion. Cameron Smith will not be in the field, obviously, uh, as he is a live player, and live players are not allowed to play on the PGA Tour, and kind of a shame that the defending champion and the, the British Open champion, the Open champion, will not be in the field this week. So we'll uh, be looking forward to uh, watching the Players' Championship and what I believe is the most iconic hole in the world of golf, the 17th hole at TPC Sawgrass. So uh, it's going to be a good show. going to be a good weekend and looking forward to uh, – Watching the Players' Championship, that's for sure. Well, John, you brought up that iconic 17th Island Green hole, and I i mean, you might have had a chance to play TPC Sawgrass one of these days, so this might not be a hypothetical question. And I'm sure we'll talk about it today on the uh, on, on the Miller Lite John Ricchetti Golf Show, but would you would you hit that green, or, or, or are you putting uh, it into the drink? Bronner. I've played there, and I made a two on it. Oh, my God. You are lying. No. I No, man. You made a two Ronner, on it. I've, I made a two at the 17th hole. Sure have. I sure did. I see. I, it was, see, uh, I, I it's was pretty intimidating. No, I've been to the Players' Championship uh, three times. I've played the uh, TPC Sawgrass. I think the players, I think that Pete Dye, you get to the 16th hole, 16, 17, and 18, the stadium atmosphere, the amphitheater, it is incredible. Uh, I think it's probably the best three holes designed for player viewing and and excitement and and everything. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's one of the most stretch of holes that I think are most iconic holes in all of golf, in my opinion. They're really good, 16, 17, and 18 at TPC Sawgrass. So I can tell you, Bron, if you're going to go play there, you better start saving your money because I understand a green fee there is like $800 now. Well, yeah, I mean, I as I said it, I realized that you probably had played there before. I, I Maybe one day, but I don't think I'm hitting the green on 17 there. Not on the first no, try. No, come on, man. Don't sell yourself short. You well, can do it. We'll I know get, you can. We'll, we'll, you can do it. And listen, a little uh, other uh, tidbit uh, for you two guys that uh, Jack Nichols was talking to Nick Faldo this weekend. I don't know if you've heard the rumor report that Jack is saying that Tigers told him that he will play the Champions Tour. All right. And we're not too far because they get in the cart. And, uh, you know, he can play good golf in a cart, apparently. And uh, wouldn't that be something, Tiger Woods on a Champions Tour? In a few years. <laughs> I think he'll play the majors still, too. What's coming up on the show tonight, uh, John, and where are you guys at? Well, we're at Felix's Fish Camp, guys, and uh, it's going to be, you know, obviously going to recap the the, uh, the API, uh, talk some local golf, a lot, of, uh, a lot of high schools, golfers in action this weekend, collegiate, all the, all the big schools in the state of Alabama traveling, playing college golf, got a lot of local kids. 
uh, playing collegiate golf too. We'll give an update update there and talk about this weekend's light scratch tour that was played at uh, Magnolia Grove Golf Club. So we got a lot to talk about, and uh, it's going to be a good one. John Ricchetti with the Miller Lite John Ricchetti Golf Show coming up right after this. You can hear all of us. Thank you very much, John. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks. All right, Corey, how about that? A little, uh, little Miller Lite uh, golf, golf show preview? All right, well, we were getting into uh, into hypothetical schedule stuff um, with regards to Alabama and, and the three permanent opponents in the SEC schedule. And, yeah, I mean, so so Nick Saban has had some interesting comments. Uh, 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 there, there you are. Yeah, here we go. It, it, the bands have absolutely turned it up oh, to another level here at Pensacola Bay Center with 18 minutes before we go to tip off. And again, want to thank John Rachetti for giving us a little tidbit about what's upcoming on his show. And we know what's upcoming here for the South Alabama men's basketball program. An opportunity to punch their ticket to the big dance, Mike. And you mentioned earlier how hard it is to beat a team three times. South Alabama trying to prevent that from happening. And South Alabama is going to be wearing their all red uniforms as they are the lower seated, eighth seated team playing a second seated Louisiana team. And I already see, again, a great crowd coming in here to witness this Sunbelt Conference championship game that's being played at Pensacola Bay Center. And I know that there was an accident on I-10. They kind of slowed down traffic, but like Richie Riley said, Jag Nation just needs to come out super duper strong and show up in full effect as what's at stake is that automatic berth and seeing your name pop up on CBS's screen on Selection Sunday. And of course, we know that Birmingham, Alabama is hosting a regional site. And the last time South Alabama had an opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament, I do believe it was against Butler in Birmingham, Alabama. South Alabama, if they punch that ticket, not quite sure they'll be shipped to Birmingham or not. But at the same time, just to see your name and to know that you are a conference champion is one of the reasons Dr. Joel Erdman hired Richie Riley because he saw those championship qualities in him. And minus the COVID year, you look at Coach Riley and his staff hitting that transfer portal real hard and getting a lot of production from guys. When you have the nation's reigning all-time leading rebounder that they have in the big fella Kevin Samuel, that's a huge addition to your program. And you look at someone like Owen White who continues to shoot the basketball well and Turbo Jones coming in, transferring in from Auburn, getting his feet wet a year ago. And then Parham, Greg Parham, he didn't even play last year because of his injury, but comes off of the bench and scores 16 points in the semifinal game and is a critical factor in what South Alabama 
would love to accomplish, which is to be Sunbelt Conference champions for the first time under Richie Riley and punch that ticket to the NCAA tournament since the first at-large bid that they received back in 2009. And I know personally witnessing and being able to go to the Sunbelt Conference Championship in 1989 and 1991 and then go to both NCAA tournaments, there's no better feeling in March, Mike, to see your team and your university on the big screen playing on that Thursday or Friday or even in a play-in game now in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's, it, it is the most special thing. Uh, something that cannot be taken for granted. Again, I mean, South Alabama, they made it in 2008, but they didn't win the Sun Belt Tournament. They they haven't won the Sun Belt Tournament since 2006. So the Sun Belt has been a league in the past that has had multiple bids, but that is not the case this year and hasn't been the case. Uh, so as Richie Riley said, I, I mean, it, he thinks it's, it's the best league in the country that only sends one team to the NCAA tournament, and, and we're about to find out in about, you know, 17, 18 minutes here which team is going to uh, is gonna be going dancing. Well, I will say this. If you're not able, for some reason, to make it to this game, of course, it is available on ESPN2, tip-off at 6 o'clock p.m., but, Mike, when we come back from our commercial break, I want everyone to hear the passion in Coach Richie Riley's voice and play that last audio clip as to where he's urging people to come out and support the University of South Alabama Jaguars program here. Not only here, but if they're able to win this game, to go ahead and see them go to the big dance wherever that ticket may be sending them. But tonight, you're 0-2 against this Louisiana team and you have an opportunity to punch that ticket and we'll see here coming up to wrap up the show on the final drive put the finishing touches on the final drive here on this Monday edition on WNSP Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. In a 14-team league that to me is the best in the country, bar none, that gets one team to the NCAA tournament. We these guys have taken South Alabama to the 40. They're to the 40. And I don't know if people understand how hard it is to get to the 40, which means you're one win away. That's why I'm telling you, if you're in Mobile or if you're anywhere and you're Jack, get here. Get here. It's hard. This is not something that is easy to do. And these guys have done that for our university. And obviously, I love our university with a passion that I can't explain. I do. I love it. I see all our leadership in the back. I said the other day, we have incredible leadership. Our place is awesome. But these kids, they love South Alabama. They've only been here for one year, and they both love it. Kevin Samuel, one year he loves it. 
Greg Parham, two years he loves it, and so on and so forth. They love our university. This is not like a pit stop for them. They're just, you know, playing to play. They're playing for South Alabama. They want to bring a championship to Mobile. They want to – I've talked to them about it a lot. I point out a lot of our fans that have been around way, way before me. And I tell them what it means to them. When Hal passed away, I told them about Hal, who he was. I can't imagine what Hal would be doing right now. I'd give six months' salary to, for Hal to be here with us to experience this because he believed in us, man. And there's so many people that have that passion about South Alabama. Come to the game. Bring a friend. Let's, have, let's, let's try to do something special. Let's try to do something that's so hard to attain. But join us. Don't watch it on TV. It's going to be on national TV. It's easy to stay home, not make the hour drive or wherever you're coming from. Get here. Be present. Be as loud as you can be because these dudes right here and the other guys in our locker room, they deserve that. So from the bottom of my heart, I'm begging you to show up and be in Pensacola tomorrow. Huge words by Richie Rowley right there talking about the South Alabama Jaguar in the needed fan base. I think we got the national anthem going on over in uh, over in Pensacola. So, you, know, Richie, you just heard Richie Riley begging Jags fans to show up in Pensacola. Obviously, if you haven't left yet, it probably is too late. But if you are in Mobile, the game is going to be on ESPN2. And you were absolutely right, Mike. I, I never like to try to talk over the National Anthem in that situation. Just love to go ahead and pay respect to the red, white, and blue and to those who are bringing you the National Anthem. But here it is, Michael. I mean, we were listening to Richie Riley urge everyone from the Mobile, Alabama area to come on down and support the University of South Alabama today. And it's going to be huge when you look at Two hours from now, can South Alabama put on those dancing shoes? And is you're not able to make it here to the Pensacola Bay Center, all you have to do is look on TV behind South Alabama's bench and see all of the red. As again, Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns are black and red, but looks like a majority of South Alabama's fans decided to wear all red today and sitting right behind South Alabama's bench. There is a huge contingency of South Alabama fans, and that's to what they deserve. That's what you want to see them try to get that 20th win of the season, Mike. Yeah, I mean, and the 20th one would be the biggest one, no doubt about it. So, I, I mean, I, I think they got a good shot tonight, Corey. Yeah. I, I think they have an outstanding shot here because they've been playing their best basketball late. This same Lafayette team, or excuse me, Louisiana Raging Cajun team, beat them about a week and a half ago. And South Alabama's now taking the floor, getting ready for their final warm-ups. And tomorrow we will bring you Jim Nagy, who will be talking about the NFL combines and the success of not only the South Alabama athletes who participated, but whose stock went up, whose stock went down. We'll hear all about Indianapolis and what the Combines meant from an executive director and 
a former NFL scout and Jim Nagy going to bring us the goods. And, of course, we'll bring you the rundown as we prepare for the SEC men's tournament as the men and women's Sunbelt Conference tournament is coming to a conclusion. want to congratulate James Madison. Their women won the Sunbelt Conference Women's Championship earlier today, 81-51. to 51. South Alabama looking to have the same type of dominant performance and cut down the nets here at Pensacola Bay Center. Another quick note, something we talked about was the fact that we have Alabama Brandon Miller, SEC Freshman of the Year, as well as the Player of the Year in the Southeastern Conference. No question about that, but... Don't forget to tune in next to Miller Lite's John Rochetti's Golf Show. And want to thank everybody for tuning in to the final drive on WNSP and Go Jaguars. <laughs> 